Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. We're on the talk shoe call tonight for POTQ Level 1 History Call. We have uh, everyone is in attendance, and we have a guest teacher this evening, Rachel or Linworth, um, who's going to be helping us go through the history homework. This was an area that she really enjoyed, so. Um, hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, just tell me when to start, and I'll go. <laughs> you can go ahead and start now if you'd like. Hey, okay, well, um... Think I know at least one of you. I'm not sure who all is in this year's class, but that's okay. We're friends anyway because we're all part of this thing. Uh, my name is Rachel. My other name is Linworth. Um, that that represents a few aspects of me. Anyway, I'm an old friend of Lynn and Julian's. I consider them friends and mentors, really. I started going to Glee which I'm sure some some of you have heard about, um, I think since like the second meeting that it there was at the farm. So, um, cool. yeah, Glee and Pacific Seas 2 has been a really big deal in my past. Um, it was the class of 2011, actually the year that your homework recording was recorded. Um, so that was a trip sitting in on that amazing description that Sharazad did. Um, let's see, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity to take the level two POTQ a few years later, um, alongside, excuse me, alongside some amazing people. I also trained in Temple Terra Incognita in Chicago that Lynn and Julian introduced me to. And we'll talk a little bit about them and a few other modern temples later. Part of what I want to do tonight is cover both the history, but then also move that forward into the present, if you all will indulge me. Um, I am not currently officially practicing my training, aside from like when I go to uh, Cope and give in the Scarlet Sanctuary. I'm contemplating starting a practice because I feel like I'm in a place in my life where I can. Um, we can certainly talk about that some other time. Anyway, since the training, I have been applying things to myself, to my relationships, and cultivating a kindness to my fellow humans here on Earth. Maybe God, too. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to try to not ramble too much. Um, so tonight outline that I'm going to try to roughly stick to, and Lord knows that my notes in my notebook and on my computer, I'm probably going to get really distracted. That's okay. The rough outline is, we'll start with what is a sacred prostitute, uh, and then we'll kind of go over the histories and cultures 
and then go to the portion I already mentioned, bringing it forward and applying it to the now. All right. Um, I'm going to make some very awkward pauses and say, does anyone have any questions? So at this point in time, maybe a little bit early, I'm going to ask, does anyone have any questions? No. Nope. All right. If anyone says anything in the chat box, Lynn, could you let me know? Yes, I will let you. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, because I have my notes up on my other screen. All right, so what is a sacred prostitute? Um, now, you guys read a little bit in your homework. I'd like to start with what is a courtesan. Um, there are historical examples of uh, courtesans like Mama, uh, excuse me, Madame de Pompadour in France. Uh, I like, I don't know, classical examples like that. But you can also go back to maybe the consorts of King Solomon, um, stuff like that. Courtesans have been around since biblical times and before that. So what were they? They were women that held power of sorts. They stimulated their male companions with their intellect, perhaps physical beauty, but their knowledge of beauty in the arts uh, and the world, um, just knowledge of the political, the way things work, being able to hold a conversation uh, and also the other side of things, igniting the heart and sexual drive. Um, these women were hugely powerful in some cases, like Madame de Pompadour. She had the ear, uh, the ear of Louis the Fifteenth, of the King of France, and in her own subtle ways, helped to form political policy, uh, the culture of the country and Europe to a degree. Um, and she was well taken care of. So that's kind of like a historical example of what a courtesan is. Modern examples, um, I mean, the whole romanticism has, to me, it, it seems like it's largely disappeared, but that I will attribute to um, societal factors like, well, patriarchy. Uh, objectification, stuff like that, but that's a lot of feminist thought I'm not going to go into tonight. What we are left with um, that I can think of right now, and I'm sure people could talk me into the ground and argue with me, but I, I mean, like, there's high-end providers and companions, which is actually how I'm looking at starting my practice right now, um, uh, and hopefully integrating that into something more sacred, um, and again, something we can talk about another time, I suppose that might be a little personal, sorry. Um, anyway, so we move from this kind of base structure of somebody who has a grasp of the world at large, can interact with a client, let's say, or a uh, uh, patron is a word I like to use. Yeah. Um, but then you add in something else. And what this something else is, is a channeling of the divine into the interaction for any number of purposes. 
such as healing, bringing divine wisdom to participants, uh, transcendence, which is sort of the same thing related. Um, connection to deity. There are several other ways you could go with that. And the services that a sacred prostitute can offer um, are presence and companionship, a listener and potential guidance, and the healing arts. Um, and the healing arts can take multiple forms, ranging from like, I don't know, massage therapy all the way through a, a, being a practicing tantrika, for example. Um, so let's jump sort of into the histories and cultures. And I will be skimming some of this, you don't have to forgive me. Um, so what it is that we do is not part of the acceptability of the larger cultural merez that we live in these days. Uh, why? I would say, again, patriarchy. Um, history has changed the way that things are looked at. Now, in yesteryear, and when I say yesteryear, I mean millennia ago in ancient Mesopotamia, the Tigris, Euphrates, River Valley, and if you want to go over to the Indus River Valley, that works too. Um, matriarchy was a thing. And in these societies, things were viewed pretty differently. Egalitarianism was a little bit more prevalent. Um, I mean, everyone had their roles, but everyone was considered sacred, I suppose. At least that's the way I like to think about it. I'm sure people, again, could argue with me, but whatever, I'm talking. Um, it was more about the collective than the individual. It was, um, I feel like things were looked at more ritualistically. Um, and, and yeah, um, so how, I don't know, where did egalitarianism kind of manifest in these matriarchal societies? I think basically an appreciation of the feminine aspect was necessary because matriarchy um and how was that feminine aspect expressed now as it pertains to our talk tonight about sacred sexuality i would say um there is well fertility for one sexuality nurturing love healing and wisdom like i i guess feminine wisdom or just greater wisdom, a union of both feminine and masculine. And I'm gonna stop here. Um, I'm going to be using gendered words and this is just um, kind of a generalization. Historically, what was written about and what is written about is male, female, man, woman, and I understand fully that there is not a uh, dichotomy necessarily in this world. There is a spectrum. But for simplicity's sake, please forgive me. I'm going to just go with the dichotomy tonight. And I'm more than willing to discuss as intelligently as I can um, the more fluid aspects of this. So disclaimer over. Okay, so in ancient Mesopotamia, um, 
which I mentioned earlier, your, uh, the um, Tigris and Euphrates river valleys, basically modern Iraq, was comprised of Sumeria, Akkadia, Assyria, Babylon, I guess Canaan, I think that's how you say it, that whole area. And later on, that kind of spread out to Phoenicia and the Mediterranean and all of that good stuff. But Mesopotamia is kind of uh, where I believe a lot of this got started. Uh, the goddess had several names there, depending upon tradition, locale, all that stuff, like Inanna, Ishtar, Astarte, Hora, Ashtaret, um, stuff like that. So I'm going to go into my notebook notes here, and you'll get to hear me flipping around through my pages, because I didn't have time to commit all of this to Google Docs. And you'll have to forgive me. Okay. Um, so in ancient Mesopotamia, we come across this concept of hieroscamo, which I feel is like one of the greatest expressions of the union of feminine and masculine energy and the appreciation of the feminine aspect and spirituality. Um, so what happened was once a year, based upon the lunar calendar, the king of, um, well, gosh, I'm having a brain fart. But anyway, ancient Mesopotamia um, would come to the great temple and join with the high priestess in a sacred union or a sacred marriage. Now, what this would do was ensure um, fertility for the land, prosperity, but it would also legitimize the king's power for the coming year and however long he was going to be around. Now, um, in this union, something was created that I think is a beautiful concept. Um, in the joining of the physical embodiment, at least in this time and space, of the divine masculine and feminine, that there was something greater than the sum of its parts created and uh, a third energy, if you will. And this is what brought blessings to the land, to the people that inhabited that land. So, let me think what I want to say next. Um, that's, I don't know, the coup de grace of what was done in ancient Samaria. Of course, there are other details, like um, other rites of passage, like the offering of a woman's virginity before getting married. And I loved the way that Shahrazad uh, discussed virginity as in it's totally different from today's concept of, well, virginity. There's no loss and there's no shame because you're being true to your sexual self and your sexual self is your divine self because sexuality was embraced as natural, necessary to the ongoing uh, flow of life and the order of things. So virginity, it was something, I suppose, to be given in joy. 
and and not even given. It wasn't like you were giving it away. It was just something to be celebrated. Yes, yeah, celebrated and shared. Exactly. Um, very briefly mentioned was the greeting home of soldiers, and I love how this kind of illustrates the healing aspects of what the priestesses would do. Um, soldiers would come home from war traumatized by the horrors that they had seen in the field. And in order to, I suppose, in the kind of psychological sense, integrate what they had experienced, they would go to the temple and spend time with the temple prostitute and kind of come back into themselves they would learn to be part of society again, to be, um, well, I think like Shaharazad said, to be husbands and fathers and uh, just general companions to people in the uh, more mundane side of things. And when I say mundane, there are spears being thrown at your, thrown at your head. So, um Let's see, what else happened in Samaria? I really like the, just the whole tradition, honestly. Um, it's so, and I know this sounds superficial, but it's so exotic and exciting and sexy. And, mm-hmm. um, I know that when I kind of have visions of creating my ideal temple space someday, I oftentimes think of what would ancient Sumer look like in one of these zaggarats, uh, these temple spaces. Um, I'm going to flip through my notes. Okay, so, I mean, everything I think was about, you know, intercourse. I think that there was sacred touch and just um, companionship. I mean, that had to happen at one level or another, but um, we'll talk about that more in the moving it forward section. You'll have to forgive me. I am skimming my oats. Um, Now, part of why things were practiced in the temple is because deities were thought to dwell there. And so there would be, like, food, drink, music, the living themes that you and I have, but they were set in the temple as an offering to the gods. And so I should have said this earlier, but the reason that there was sex in the uh, temple was because sex was pleasing to the gods. And we sort of already mentioned why that was. It was an incarnation of, of the divine couple bringing fertility and things um, to the earth. Now, I sort of mentioned how virginity was offered in a rite of passage before a woman was married, um, but like men would come to these, uh, these temples and seek union with the temple prostitutes or whoever was serving um, in an effort to commune with 
his divine self, like the male deity, or um, and also with the goddess. And it, it was a it was a sacred act, and it was a celebrated act. Uh, this would lead to the transcendence of ego. Um, man would submit to the god self and to the goddess in this um, act. Now, I've mentioned priestesses. There are also male priests. Um, and from what it sounds like, I, I mean, I guess they were sometimes on the same level as the high priestesses. I don't know, because there was a scene that I, I don't remember where I heard it mentioned. It was probably from you guys, Lynn, Julian, but like the Kadesh, which was the temple dog. And to me, it seems like that was almost an underling in some sense. Do you know anything yeah. about that? They, they did all the heavy lifting and work. Okay. So it sounds like there were ranks in the male priesthood as well as the uh, female priestesshood, um, just like Shahrazad was mentioning, like there was the high priestess who was on par with the rulers of the uh, nation or culture, and also the high priest. There were the aristocrats who could also be landholders. There were the Vestal versions. There were the Kaddish too. And then there were the, the let's call them posers. There were the, the people who paid lip service to being sacred, but they were really just in it for, you know, fun, I suppose. Um, now, what brought women to these temples? Like, we can speculate that it was some sort of um, devotion to deity or wanting to serve the greater good. And I feel like that was probably the case, at least in my imaginings, I should say, in ancient Mesopotamia. And I feel like as egalitarianism changed, that might have changed as well. Um, okay. Let me get through my notes a little bit more. So I kind of touched on this already, but um, the priestesses in the temple were not in this for security, power, possessions, notoriety, or admiration. It was to, you know, honor the goddess. Um, sexuality was not the um, aim. This wasn't all about the physical act. Sexuality was a tool to reach transcendence healing, whatever. And so from that, one comes to the distinction between the sacred and profane, which um, can have interesting means elsewhere. But what we'll talk about here is like, what's the difference between a priestess and a prostitute in the modern sense? Um, so like priestesses, they were... I don't know, they kind of had it made in some ways. Um, the aristocracy, they could inherit and own property. They had working rights, like legal rights. Um, they had some 
I guess, pretty sweet digs where they live. And if they lived off campus, they could start businesses and do whatever they wanted. Um, I mean, they had to serve in the temple, but, you know, that sounds pretty good to me. Sounds like a nice variety. Um, as patriarchy started to creep in, and this may have been as uh, the culture started to be Hellenized, um, the sort of the intentions perhaps morphed. Um, the positioning of prostitutes, either temple prostitutes or those becoming not so much temple prostitutes. And to be sure, these were always juxtaposed, but there was a separation. Um, just like where women, these women fell in society, slowly started to change uh, as um, egalitarianism faded away. Um, so, I mean, I, I should probably say that, oh, God, what's the word? Basically, like, once ancient Mesopotamian cultures, um, like Sumeria, Akkadia, Assyria, Babylon, and those things started to get they faded a little bit, but migrated toward the Mediterranean, but also like what I would consider slander from other uh, traditions, like, I mean, just think the whore of Babylon, like that doesn't really sound good. Um, once slander like that starts to creep in and as things start to creep further out, I feel like uh, basically the divine feminine was honored in other ways. It either went underground or it morphed, and I mentioned the term Hellenized, which means it transferred over into uh, Phoenician culture and then to Greek and Roman cultures later on. Um, can you tell I like history? <laughs> anyway, um, so in Greece and Rome, um, I mean, there were still prostitutes in the uh, temple of Aphrodite and Venus, but I feel like more often the role of prostitute fell to brothels and taverns, and the rights of those profane prostitutes, um, not so great. You know, you're not allowed to even go to the temple and worship or be part of uh, religious acts. You're not a citizen. You're, I don't know. You were ostracized uh, on some level. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and then even like within the temples, um, I mean, being a priestess was something that you did. But who's to say that you didn't up like end up there because you were sold to the temple as an offering or something like that? So. I feel like the whole concept of uh, sacred prostitute and also goddess evolved over uh, the years. Uh, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> um, who ended up where? Now, I think it depended upon uh, your position and what you could pursue and also what your culture accepted. Um, but... I know Shara Zad um, 
talked a little bit about, like, what was your motivation for being a prostitute, sacred, or profane? Was it servitude or was it personal gain? Um, now, to be sure, like, if you're a sacred prostitute, you have to be provided for. And it was really nice in Sumeria because, you know, you get, you live in the temple compound. Um, if, I believe in level two, we talked a little bit about remuneration. Um, so I don't know, that might be something to think about further down the line as you develop your practice uh, as you are living in the modern era. Anyway, um, so scanning my notes again. I promise I'm normally much better at this. You guys won't see me scanning my notes on Saturday if you go to Glee. Um, at least not pausing. That's bad. You're doing fine. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, so there are other, uh, let's say, lineages as well. Pretty far removed, though not, I guess, terribly far, was India, uh, the Indus River Valley. Isn't it fun how civilizations always start in river valleys? I think so. But anyway, in India, there were the Devadasi. And honestly, I'm still, are Tantricas sort of a modern thing, Lynn? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. We'll talk about Tantricas later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, like Sherazad said, Dasi translates to slave of God and Deva to shining superhuman entity. And I just love that. That makes me more happy than I should be. Because I, I just think of a sparkly, like, I don't know, a goddess. Almost like something from Sailor Moon, but more ancient and powerful and <laughs> primordial, I guess. Um, so, sorry, I just had a, a moment there. But, um, <laughs> okay, so... Um, now, this was required of all females of a certain caste for a period of time, much like um, how in ancient Sumeria we are, it was required almost to go and offer yourself before marriage so that you could devote yourself to the goddess in that manner. It sounds like in parts of India, one would go and serve at the temple, uh, at least for some period oh. of time. Hello? Okay, that was weird. Anyway, um, Hello. So, is everything okay, you guys? I keep hearing noises. Yeah, I was hearing that too. Okay, Someone well, we'll question? just. Oh, we lost one of the Michigans. Oops. Uh, should I push forward, or do you want me to hang on a sec? So, yeah, keep going, keep Rachel. Going. Um, Sarah, are you there, or is it Arthur? I'm still here. Okay, Michigan's calling back in. Okay, we'll Thanks. hold on. Just let me know. I don't have that screen up. That's fine. Okay. Arthur, are you back? Yeah, I. she cut out there for a minute, and I couldn't... Nobody was hearing me when I was saying hello. Oh, well, we heard you say hello, but uh, I don't know if you could hear us. 
No, I couldn't hear you. I don't know why. Okay. Okay, well, you're okay. back now. I'm back now. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so we were talking about India and the Devadasi, and I just, I love the idea that these women were the cultivators of music and dance. And, um, and I mean, I mentioned earlier that there was uh, music in the temples in ancient Mesopotamia. And if you think to other cultures, like um, geisha, and while they're not necessarily sacred, they, they do practice something profoundly beautiful and spiritual in a way. Um, they are some of the main uh, practitioners, I suppose, of the great art. It goes back to the whole courtesan thing. But um, let me see. So there was ancient India, there was the Americas, which had some very interesting histories, and I wish I could find more information on this, gosh. But, um, like, the Tahu tribe uh, had very interesting initiations for their future priestesses, and which, well, I'm going to try to not be crude. Um, um in which multiple men would come to the hut and initiate them into their priesthood. Um, and they would still be obligated, uh, and this kind of initiated them into a sense of knowing that they were going to serve the men in their temple, anyone that came. And they were still obligated to serve um, people that needed the assistance of a priestess even after they were joined in marriage. And that leads me to an idea that I almost forgot, and it's hugely important, um, the concept of the stranger. And I suppose this falls in the bringing it forward um, section, but I'm going to go ahead and hit on it now. Um, the concept or aspect of the stranger. Now, um, the stranger is someone that comes to the temple space seeking union with the divine or some sort of healing or some sort of, let's just say, help. Um, now, this is going to be the end-all, be-all for your practice, right? Um, so, I mean, sometimes we just need to accept anyone that comes to us because they're looking for assistance and we might not be the right person to help them but we can certainly point them in the right direction i'm going to flip through my notes um to find more on this anyway so i'll just flip forward to the modern aspect of this and as it pertains to us in the path of the Kadishu particularly. Um, now, ha have we talked about the whole way a Scarlet Sanctuary works yet? Um, we've only touched on it a little bit in experiential, Rachel. The, the, okay. The, the first class. Okay. So in September, you are going to be greeting perfect strangers into the temple space, this holy, sacred space where anyone can come and receive sacred touch. Now, part of how I feel that ties to ancient times 
is that, I mean, we serve anyone that needs help, basically. And in order to do that, we channel something greater than ourselves to commune with that person, and then that person can commune with that greater thing. Um, so, yeah, more on that later. Um, so I was talking about the Tahu tribe in Western Mexico, and very interestingly, I love how um, the Mayans seem to separate, um, I don't love it, I guess I, I should say I'm fascinated by how they um, separated the, I guess, modality of their sexuality pertaining to who it was they were interacting with or what their motivation was. I don't know if that makes sense. Anyway, um, like heterosexuality was reserved for the mundane, like the people that weren't practitioners of, um, well, basically priests. Let's say. Um, so they were celibate, the priests, but it was totally okay for them to uh, be homosexual and expressive in that way because that was the way that the gods saw the most holy. Um, and to me, I, I really wish I could find more literature on that because it's just something, I, I don't know, it's kind of beautiful in its own way. Um, just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I love anthropology, I love history and all that stuff. And like fully wrapping my head around something is something that I, it's um, something I strive to do. So I think that would, that might be my next challenge, guys. Um, there you go. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, Mayan, pretty cool. Too bad the conquistadors and patriarchy came and stomped them out, but you know. Um, so I think that I touched on earlier the idea that virginity was not seen as something to be ashamed of losing and that loss wasn't even a thing. And that's, and I also talked about how uh, sexuality was a manifestation of fertility and life force and everything for ancient Mesopotamia. And that's the, that all made sense. Uh, excuse me, that all made sexuality sacred. And um, I mentioned it's more than a physical act. It's a connection to the divine. And um, holding the understanding that the body and its expressions are sacred and not shameful is a powerful thing. It was then. It, it, it fueled their society. And it is now. And it's something that I really wish I, like, I wish, and I, I wish I could go out and shout in the street, embrace your sexuality, you guys, because if you don't, you're going to just be miserable. And um, there's just too much misery in this world already without, you know, embracing a part of your humanity that is so fundamentally you. And it's like when your fertility and your sexuality is taken away, there's dying and suffering, and I just, I'm so glad you guys are doing this class. Sorry, I'm going off on a whole tangent, but <laughs> I, I feel like it's okay. You guys don't think I'm too crazy, I don't think. But um, getting back to my notes, so, like, the service 
to goddess or yeah to goddess it it surpassed everything um it, it i don't know i i can't say i'm the most devout person uh but i i know that some of what i do is at least pleasing because i know that i'm watched after more tangents focus Rachel. but i believe that what happens in a sexual exchange uh, then and now is hugely powerful it's an alchemical transformation of two energies into something great that can lead to all sorts of things and we already talked about those things they could be uh healing transcendence uh, and even if it's not quite as exciting it's connection and love and just a feeling of belonging and i feel like that's what was offered in the temple then i feel like that's what's offered now so I'm going to go ahead and uh, use that as a segue into the bringing it forward um, part of this. There are modern temples and schools out there. You're participating in one of them, uh, the path of the Kaddish tool. Um, as you dig into this more, you're going to find more. And granted, it's all underground because of, um, well, what we do isn't really accepted by a lot of folks, but um, like Sharazad was part of the is part of the Inner Fires Temple. Is that still yeah. around? Excellent. Um, there's the International School for the Temple Arts. Uh, there are um, tantric centers around the country and the world, and they're a special breed, from what I understand, but they're there. Um, so that's, I mentioned Tantrika earlier, I, I believe, yeah, that's, those are some of the people that practice Tantra in the, I guess, Neo-Tantra sense, but um, that's not something I'm going to go into. Um, there's uh, Temple Terra Incognita, which is what Lynn and Julian so very kindly introduced me to years ago. Um, and that is an, I'm just going to use this as an illustrative point, a modern day temple. Um, the people that practice there consider them priests and priestesses of something greater. And everyone kind of has their own deity or thing that they serve. But um, I, a lot of folks are practicing Kadishti. Um, and as Kadishti offer services generally to um, help people either cope or heal themselves. Um, I know that my mentor, David, has. Um, through either sexual healing or just talking to people and listening and being present and sometimes offering advice has helped people change their lives. I know that he's helped me a lot. Um, and I know that through him that I have found at least the beginnings of my path to serve as a Kaddish Um I One of my visits, out there and I'm going to go on a draw 
um, I met for my first Kadishu experience with a young lady. I think she was actually older than me, but um, she had, um, we'll just say PTSD and some manifestations going from there uh, that were very, very much distressing her ability to live in the world. And um, she requested that I um, do something special with her for her birthday. <laughs> and um, really, I mean, it was really just companionship. If we put boil it down, it was companionship and something that she needed and wanted to feel loved and special and in a, excuse me, special and in a way kind of process what she was going through, even if it was on a very minute level. And so, I mean, we're here for people, and um, it, it may be in a different sense than it was back in ancient Mesopotamia and the ziggurats and the temples, um, but it's still the same. Um, like, you guys might know Dan and Don here in Columbus. Uh, and I should mention, Lynn and Julian might tell you a little bit of their, uh, excuse me, a little bit about their practices as well. I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot, but you never know. Um, <laughs> anyway, some of you know uh, Dan and Don here in um, Columbus. Now, Don is like prolific with what I consider to be her Kadish to practice. Like, she offers all sorts of activities for development of the spiritual self. She trains people in Reiki. She leads this thing called Path of the Kadishu. She um, she even sees people privately when she has time to either do like Reiki sessions, integrated healing art, or just talk. She's a personal coach and stuff. Um, so she's kind of an amazing modern example of a um, Kadishu. Um. So, I mean, basically, when you guys get into your practice, and you, I think, Lynn or Julian, did you say you guys have done, have you done any hands-on yet? Um, we had the first experiential a couple of weeks ago. And did you create a, a sacred space? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so from that experience, if you'll think on that, you tapped into something greater, maybe. And if you didn't, that's fine. You'll get there. But you probably tapped into something greater as a giver. Um, and your inner priest or priestess was awakened in that moment to your innate divinity in that encounter. Um, so... I mean, in your training, you're going to learn to heal and better yourself. And you'll realize that, I mean, not only through, like, the reading, the phone calls, the experientials, but you're going to learn so much about yourself during your sacred time. It's just amazing. I, I, I crave being in that sacred space and serving you guys. And, and I imagine that the... Uh, women and men that served in the temples back in those river valleys felt the same way. 
that it was something that drove them and it it it, it fed the self because you know you're part of that couple there that's channeling in something greater than the self and you're reaching transcendence um so not only are you healing others you're healing yourself um so on that note I see that I have hit about 50 minutes. Um, and I apologize, that's kind of like my standard operating time for talk. Oh, it's good. <laughs> okay, yeah. thanks. Um, yeah. I'm just starting out with actually kind of refining this stuff, and I'm really honored that you guys asked me to... Um, here <laughs> and talk about this stuff even if it was you know rambling but I'm going to stop the self-deprecating humor thank you so much for having me you guys um is there anything you want to talk about because I, I love just shooting the shit and well when I'm not being shy but yeah are there any questions or thoughts that anyone wants to discuss all right <laughs> well, did did anyone have you gotten your homework done? Have you listened to the recording? I'm about halfway through the recording. I'm moving uh tomorrow, so I haven't had very much time recently, but it's really interesting and I really enjoyed Linworth's talk. Yes. Yeah. Yay. Um, let me pull up the homework sheet that I have here because I feel like I might have missed something. Well, okay. part of their homework was to listen to the recording, listen <laughs> to or read a description that Francesca had put out there. Oh, yeah. Then um, what five ideas, concepts really spoke to you, write a brief statement describing why each of these concepts made an impression and do you have any questions that need follow-up and then we yeah. offered a bunch of further reading yeah some of that's really good stuff you guys you should check it out i know that Sharazad mentioned the nancy calls corvette i really love that book another yeah. call i'm kind of visualizing it's pretty small isn't it little book it's really cute um anyway so, I mean, based upon what you may have listened to of the recording or read or from tonight's recording, is there anything that sticks out to people, like any concepts that particularly resonated, any bad jokes that you thought were particularly bad? <laughs> I really like the concept of the losing a virginity not really being a losing, it being more of a spiritual experience, like you're not being lessened by it, you're being strengthened by it, I, that really spoke to me. Exactly. And one of my classmates, Dory, loved that one, too. I miss Dory. But, yeah, I think that's just a wonderful, empowering thing, like just realizing that it's not you giving your agency over to someone. It's you embracing your agency and communion with your partner and with deity. It, it, it's empowering. That's a good word for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
does anyone else have any thoughts on that concept or want to expound upon it? Okay. Um, I'll look at what I highlighted because I might get excited. Or if anyone else wants to chime in, I've already talked for 50 minutes, you guys. Um, okay. Hey, well, I'll call on people. Okay. So, Chloe, that was you that mentioned about the virginity, right? Yep. Oh, that's what I thought. Okay. Um, Tara, did you have a yeah. chance to listen to the homework? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like the whole thing, but I particularly like the questions at the very end and the one that struck me the most. And I think, Julian, I think it was your question, um, had to do with, uh, or maybe it wasn't, but it had to do with transgender issues. And it's not just obviously transgender, but gender fluid, asexual, mm-hmm. and their roles as far as um, being Kadish Kadishi. And I think I think why I associate it with Julian is because Julian brought up that there's masculine and feminine divinity in all of us. So um, that really touched me. You know, like the whole thing was interesting, but it was more the questions at the end that really um, made me think a little bit more about what I had learned. Cool. That was one of my favorite parts of the recording, too. Um, Yeah, I, I, too, agree that everything is pretty fluid and that everyone has a little bit of everything in them. So, Mm -hmm. Um, Lynn and Julian, you guys have facilitated some stuff. well, with Raven, that has spoken on that very topic, um, at least, well, some degree yeah. of it. Yeah, we we like supporting Raven and providing the space for uh, what he teaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In regards to transgender. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, Arthur, did you have a chance to listen to the recording? Arthur, did we lose you again? Oh, no. No? Oh. Maybe his mic isn't working. The chat box says he's on. Um, okay. Sarah. Yeah. Did you have yeah, a the recording? Yeah. Who, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, Sarah. Okay. Um. Yeah, um... I did, but it, like, cut off in the middle, like, 68 minutes into it, it cut off. But um, I did hear up until then. Um, like, what, something I found interesting is that she mentioned that um, if, like, a, a ruler couldn't perform with the goddess, then he, was, he wasn't considered fit to rule the people or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought, I thought that Hello? was interesting. Hello, are you back? I think so. Okay. okay, I can hear you again. Okay, Sarah, yeah. and then I'll call on you, so give me a minute. Okay. So go ahead, Sarah. Oh, that was it. I was, that, that's all I wanted to say. Can I say something that I really appreciated about that? Uh, and yeah. I'm not sure it was directly related to that, but in my mind it was related <laughs> 
I feel like in my fantasy world of things that, for example, when Akeem came to the high priestess, that through that interaction that he adopted some sort of wisdom through that interaction. Um, and I like to think that it was the divine um, the divine feminine that imparted that wisdom onto him. But that might just be me getting excited. Anyway, mm-hmm. go on. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Sarah, I'd encourage you to try to listen to it again and fast forward up to 68 minutes because I don't know. Usually, don't have a problem with recording. I'm not sure. No, well, the first time. I can check it though. Okay. I think it's just my connection or something. I don't where I live. I don't have a very good connection, but I'll I'll try it again. Okay, you you can always download um, the MP uh, the TalkShoe file. Okay. And so that way you don't have to worry about internet connection and and buffering and whatnot. Okay, I, I can I can try that. Okay. <coughs> Arthur, did you have a chance to listen to the recording? I did. What'd you think? Um, well, and see, here's the thing that le- for me, like lectures and stuff like that, I don't I don't generally have like emotional responses to to lectures. I mean, especially when it's uh, history or uh, psychology or something like that. It, for me, it's, you know, stuffing facts into the back of my head kind of thing. Okay. Um, you know, so th- for me, that there wasn't anything that was particularly moving other than, you know, the listening to the history and, and relating some of it to that, uh, to the, uh, like the, the book passage that I, that I posted in the, in the Yahoo group. Um, you know, the, there was just some similarities there, but other than that, there was nothing that was particularly <clears throat> uh, nothing that was particularly moving for me, other than you know more knowledge to stick in the back of my head to for use later. Okay. Anyway. That's cool. Um, I know that. Did anyone feel a little intimidated after they heard some of Sharazad's talk or anything that Linworth has shared? I felt intimidated after her talk. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, what am I getting into? (laughs) I'll never be as good as Sharazad. (laughs) But that, that kind of talks to my own issues but um anyway no when i heard this talk i was like oh my god there's so much here that i hadn't even imagined like you guys you guys um the last few classes you guys do a lot more homework than than we did um, and with each class lynn adds more things okay And like the, a lot of the stuff that I that I know and that I've been spewing at you is not necessarily um, so. Basically, it's like I heard this this talk by Sharazad, and I tried to come up with some intelligent questions at the end, but 
guys felt like such a frog, you guys. <laughs> anyway, oh. I hope. I hope you guys didn't have that experience, but did anything, like, blow your mind about it, I wonder? No, I think I, I just... No, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, the depth of the history and, like, how important this was in ancient times and how profoundly it can affect people, I think, is, is kind of intimidating, for sure, yeah, uh, and I I feel like the idea of how will this ever be transferred over to what it is that we do um, is daunting, and I hope and pray that, like I was kind of going on a tangent at the end about that people, that someday people will come together and be more accepting of sexuality and divinity and the feminine. Um, but honestly, I feel like hearing that recording really just changed my perspective on things like what is possible. Um, because I mean, it happened then. Why can't we create a little bit? Like, why can't we create a little bit of that in the here and now? Create a sacred little community and outreach as we can. Um, well, and, and Rachel and Julian, to, to answer your question in regards to that, you know, one of the things that's been occurring to me um, with uh, having gone through the class again and listening to what you were saying is that in, if you, when you go back, uh, um, basically you're going back to a time, you know, man's, uh, it's almost like 10,000 years B.C., man's getting off the ground. Uh, he's move, He's transitioning from a hunter-gatherer society to an agrarian society. Things are being invented. And instead of living uh, in tents where, or shelters where we had skinned an animal or found a cave, we were starting to build homes, and we were creating the structures, and the cities started coming into being. And that time, um, if I remember my history correctly, the Mesopotamians had like over a thousand gods. And, you know, there was a god for everything. Um, And the gods were very much a part of uh, the day-to-day existence. The gods got prayed to uh, before you did something. You know, it was the god of, you you pray to one god to thank you for food. You pray to another god because you might have wine that day. You pray to another god you know, to take care of a house and whatever. <clears throat> and each city, as it was developing, in the middle of that uh, town or city, you had a temple, and each city had its own god that uh, they were devoted to. And sometimes, you know, later on, well, I'm going to make a sh- I'm going to shorten this. Uh, but, you know, it's the human sexuality being what it is, in some respects, it was a little bit more, it was more accepted uh, back then because, yes, you had the temple priestesses, you had the sacred prostitutes. And what you had, like with at least the men, I don't know about the women because um, a lot of, there's not that much information uh, that the archaeologists have been able to, to find. A lot of it is inferred. But the men would dress, uh, there were cross-dressers. A lot of the male priests were cross-dressers and, or they were gay. 
and there was a recognition that there were different uh it wasn't just straight binary it wasn't just you know male and female that there were other uh genders and those representations and it was accepted as part of the culture and uh within the temple so that's a wonderful thing and if you i I'm, I'm thinking that uh you know history moves along and uh, Babylon falls, and uh, Egypt starts coming into power, and the Jews start coming into power. There was a lot of demonization of the Babylonian uh, religious structure, and uh, the Jews hated the whole thing uh, in terms of having the temple priestesses, and so they vilified women, and they, uh, there was a lot of shame that was being attached to being a temple priestess or a sacred prostitute. You know, to speed things along, um, you know, and you come into our culture today, we have people, and there have been people throughout history that have been interested in sacred sexuality in some shape, form, or fashion. It's been there. Yes, is it mostly underground because of our cultures? Yes. Um, or in India, it might be a little bit more open. And there were uh, there was a sacred temple in India. What was it? The the Debbies, I think until 1950, 1960, um, they were recognized uh, as a religion and there was honor there. And then one day, all of a sudden, it's like someone changed law and said that this is illegal. And now all the women that were living in and practicing in those temples got thrown out into the street. And, you know, now they're considered to be uh, uh, these women that do these shameful things. And it was just a matter of writing something on, uh, on paper with a pen and changing the law. Um, <clears throat> yet the people have been out there that are doing it. Uh, there are temples that are a little bit more prominent. There was one in Arizona uh, that was doing, what was it? What was the temple? Do you remember? Baba Des. No, it wasn't Baba Des. It was, um, oh, they oh, got raided several they times. They got raided, yeah. So, I mean, there was a temple that was out there that was a little bit more open about things. But whenever these things become more into the public eye, uh, people end up usually in jail. One of the things that a lot of the workers that do this have found out, and, and Rachel alluded to this uh, when some of the clients or the patrons would come to the priestesses and or the work that she did with the one lady in terms of pr providing companionship a lot of people just want to be acknowledged a lot of people just want to be heard and some of the friends that we have they do uh, they're getting their masters in human sexuality and psychology and, and relation work and they're doing this work now as relationship counselors or uh, there's some people out there that are doing a lot with being sex coaches and where and because uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk even more about this when we get into the modern, modern day Kaddish too. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> Sorry. So, it's okay. No, <laughs> it all ties in and it, it lets people know where we're at. But a lot of what we do is this is the first step. This is the first step is, is giving touch, is 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 giving sacred touch and connecting with the divine for those few minutes that someone's on a table. Right. And that's what that's what we do in this course level 1. But what we wanted to do was give you 
the history so that you had an understanding of what the roots were of some of where we're, our mm-hmm. teachings are coming from. Mm-hmm. Not to not to scare you, but to give you information. And with information, you can be armed. I think I found the name of that temple, the Phoenix Goddess Temple. Phoenix yeah, Goddess that temple. was it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, David sent out that article a few months ago. That was depressing. Oh, no, there's sound. Okay, sorry. No squirrels. Um, yeah, so there are temples around, and I'd really like to go visit one someday. Where's the school, the International School for Temple Art? Isn't that in Michigan somewhere? That's No, that's uh, held. Uh, that's held. It's uh, Baba Des's organization, and they hold their meetings in Canada. I believe they have one big annual conference that they do, um, and then there's, there are a whole series of classes that they teach throughout the year. Um, there's a lot of information there, um, a lot of good course programs for someone that's interested and has the money to be able to afford the courses. Yeah, um, and, not and, cheap. Right, and, and also the time. Some of those courses requ- uh, require like an, um, a year or two or three long internship uh, with them. But there's also Fran, uh, Francesca who teaches uh, courses um, that are a little bit shorter to men and women uh, out in California, and she offers them once a year. Um, I think one's being what is it, the sacred, being a sacred consort, and the other one is being um, uh, a sacred knight of uh, Eros. And but we'll talk about that more as we get into modern day Kadishu. Cool. So, is it less intimidating now after we talked a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it it does. It's still a little intimidating, but I it yeah, does feel like more approachable. Yes. Okay. And that's what it. That's what we want you to get. It's not not to be intimidated, but to understand the roots of where where some of the information is that we're getting. And to know that there are further steps beyond path to the Kadishu level one that you're taking now. Yeah, I mean, we just considered uh, POTQ level one to be an introduction into sacred sexuality. Uh, we want to be able to expose you to a lot of information and tell you that there are a lot of different paths out there. We also want you to start thinking for yourself and, and show you that uh Grandmother Google is going to be your friend when it comes to some of this and so that you can do your own research as well. And you'll find all sorts of things out there on history. There is a whole sect of people that say that this is all bogus, that there's not anything that really happened ancient-wise, that it's all that they misinterpreted the, yeah. the documents. But um, They had a romantic bias as they were in translating things. Yeah, but if you look at the people that are that are saying that there's nothing there, they're um some of their backgrounds are limited on 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 history and um finding uh some of the sects. I'm trying not to say that they were Christian. Uh, oh, you mean there might be a religious bias? Bias, yes. A religious bias. 
I shouldn't say Christian. Or a theological bias. A theological bias as to what the information is that's out there. So. Or isn't out there. So, but there is lots of information out there. That's why we provided some of those books for you to read. Um, that we know that the information is 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 correct in, uh, and they're good reading, and they're not too heavy. So. Yeah. Um, did someone say something? I think that was feedback. Okay. Okay. The homework that you have is still to turn in the five concepts and ideas that spoke to you. If you would turn that in um, or get it to me um, and then writing the brief statement. Uh, if you have any questions that need any follow-up, that's, that's the homework that needs to be turned in uh, for this to be counted as completing your history homework. Um, it, just get that turned in. Um, if there's any other questions right now for Linworth or for us on the history part. And if you don't feel comfortable asking, uh, you can send us something in private. Actually, I do have a question, and it's mostly because I think Arthur is still here. Okay. Yep, I'm still here. Okay, just checking. <laughs> um, so because obviously both of you are men, um, my primary question is, as men, do you feel that you are manifesting divine femininity as goddess or masculinity as god, or does it matter to you? Because I know with Julian, he has that balance <laughs> between masculine and feminine, so, you know, does it matter to you? Good question. Are you asking that question of Arthur or or, or me as well? Well, both of you, yeah. Go ahead, Julian. I'll let you go first. Um, <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I can tell you, Tara, that it's. I felt called to the divine feminine for a good part of my life. There was just something there. There was this intangible and this connection to to feminine energy um, that I recognized somewhere in my early teens. Um, so, and then I and then I could say, you know, that kind of manifested as like my femdom fantasies. Um, but th there was something there in the energy. I've mentioned that I had um, there was. I had dreams where a woman came to me and showed and she showed me stuff about energy and about sex and uh and and it was more tantra based than anything else um that connection's been there um I know that so say you know that's been there I grew up with it and had that for you know about three decades or so, and then lo and behold, Julian ends up in uh getting a divorce ends up in doing kink. Uh, ends up with a lady that's, in, that's a Kadishji priest that's studying at a temple, and we have this amazing energy connection where that, you know, they talk about of, you know, the two people coming together and finding that divine aspect in, in uh, while, while you're doing Harris Gamos. 
Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and the other name for Heros Gamos is the divine marriage. It's, it's a ritual of the divine marriage where you're basically having man, woman, and God or the divine be there. Um, you know, so I was having those experiences and I've questioned whether I'm Kadishu um, or, or am I Kadesh. I consider myself to be a consort of uh, my lady and she's the priestess. Um, I support her in her activities and what she does. Have I done some, um, I've done some rituals as a priest. Um, where, but I've participated uh, during our temple gatherings um, a few years ago. Um, and But I'm not called to do that all that often, but every now I, uh, I am. Um, and I'm finding that I'm trying to explore what is it to be masculine. Mm-hmm. The last six, seven years have been an exploration, you know, and digging into stuff about what is the divine masculine, you know, women, and there's a lot of literature written about what is the sacred feminine, uh, what are the role models that are out there, and in our society today, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that we're looking upon, um, we, we need to stand firm, men need to stand firm within themselves and accept themselves as they are. Uh, it's nice having the role models, but be the best possible person that you can be in the body that you're in, expressing the spectrum of sexuality that you express. Um, that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Okay. And, uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, like, the, you'll have to forgive me. I'm, I I tend to communicate a lot in analogies. Um, I... I like bacon, which comes as a shock to some of you, I'm sure. Um, whether or not it, it, whether or not it's applewood smoked or hickory smoked, I really don't care. I want it in my face. Um, and for me, this particular path, this exploration, what I'm trying to do is get to the bacon flavor, not to the smoke. So I'm, I don't consider it a feminine or masculine thing, more a base flavor, you know, I I don't, I I haven't really kind of put a whole lot of thought into whether or not it's, you know, this is a masculine or this is a feminine or this is that or the other thing. I'm simply trying to do what I can to help people with, you know, providing that, that sacred space and providing that, 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 you know, trusting, loving touch, whatever you want to call it. Cool. I mean, I, I know that might kick the trend a little bit of, you know, the, the whole masculine feminine thing, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. No, I like um, it. That, that makes sense to me. I don't think it always has to be about gender. Right. I feel and, like it's past gender. Like yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> um, Arthur touched well, on it, and 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 it's like in um, the thing for me is where can I be of service with what I know? 
and what I and what I do. I I can see Arthur provides a lot of different services because of where he plays with Kink and he can provide uh, a strong space for a lot of rit- rituals. Um, you know, I I do the same thing with what I do. Lynn does the same thing with what she's done. Uh, that's the common component is that we we uh, get to provide that space and we get to to be of service. I think your mileage may vary. Okay. Good question. Um, okay. Any other questions? I know, Terry, you had a question besides COPE. Is there any other Scarlet Sanctuary type opportunities? We can keep you posted as they come up, um, mm-hmm. as they become available. I don't know of anything in Chicago. Uh, we talked about getting doing one there, but now that we need a place to do it, since David and Amanda don't have their house anymore, right. um, we've lost some of our space to to do it. So, but I'll keep you posted. Okay. We just had one at the Michigan Energy Group, which is what Sarah went to. And that was back. Was that in April, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, you might want to uh check with Galleria Domaine in Chicago. Yeah. It's one of the one of their yeah. clubs that's there. They might let you do something like that there. Yeah, and they like Dan and Don there too. So. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll look over the homework that Tara and Sarah's turned in. Uh, Arthur and I know that you're moving, Chloe. Just when you get a chance to get it turned in, um, it's easier if you keep up with it as we go along. Yeah, I'll definitely get it turned in uh, before the end of the week. I've just been running around like a crazy person all week trying to get ready for this move. I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it's been 20-some years, so it's not going to be pretty when we do move. Yeah. Um, okay, the next call is Monday the 25th. Let's get there. Um, and that's Modern Misconceptions Around Sexuality. Julian will be sending out a link um, for the homework, and then the day of or the day before we'll send out a link for the call. Uh, but if if you would get your ter- homework turned in beforehand, then we'll, we'll, we'll review it. Um, we don't have a special teacher for the Modern Misconceptions. Um, you'll be you'll when you see the homework. We're going to ask you to go and uh, do some research. We provide links and things, and and then Lynn has a list of questions there uh, to, to answer. Yeah. From. it's pretty easy peasy. Fun stuff that we should all know about anyway. So, um, if there's any other questions, last call for questions. Okay. Rachel, thank you again for doing your great talk. I appreciate it. It was good. Well, thanks. Your ramblings were interesting. They generally are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you guys so much for having me.
Amy, and uh, good luck and blessings in your work. Thank you, Rachel. I hope I get to see you at Glee again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to be there on Saturday, so hopefully I'll see you there. Yeah. I think uh, Dolly and Micah are coming down just for the day, or coming up just for the day. Oh, cool. So, um, Chloe, if you wanted to catch a ride or something. But I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it this weekend. Oh. But uh, I would like to come to another Glee sometime soon. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.